Altitude's undefeated. Crap, maybe we'll punch it up, whatever it was in. Not a huge fan of it, I don't know where I was going. I looked like I was running and started to talk to someone. I don't know what I was doing. I tell you what, Matt, we don't get much by you, that's for sure. Hello, Colorado Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi in Red. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Tuesday, September 19th, 2023, or 5784, depending on your calendar. The Rapids finally won a game, though maybe you only saw the first 20 minutes of it. Jack Price is back in Rapids training, and boy, is everyone relieved and joyous to see that. And Champions League is finally here in Europe, albeit without Sam Vines, because somebody at Antwerp can't fill out paper were properly. I'm joined now by a man who thinks a lot about the Roman Empire, Shana Tova, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Hey, Matt. Uh, Matt's looking good in a brand new haircut, looking spiffy. Did you climb any 14ers this weekend, Matt? I did not, Mark. I was emotionally wiped out from the day that was with the Rapids coverage and everything that happened there. Um, No one good FC had a proper plan of attack, Mark, to cover all of the angles of the walkout. I don't know if you saw anybody. You go to any one of our Twitter pages for people who are regularly in the press box for DSG, and you get to that point like from the 20th minute, Mark, to like the 35th minute, and it's just everybody retweeting all the other angles and stuff that we noticed and everything and so between that between uh covering a win uh what chris little brought to the enter uh brought to the post-game press conference cole bassett who had a really articulate response to how he and his teammates are thinking about the protests and what's going on with the club to being reunited with mark anthony k who was uh, another wonderful reunion of a player who i covered who was nothing but cordial and professional and straightforward in media stuff i was completely wide and it's like the I'm just gonna go home I'm gonna go to bed I'm gonna hmm. wake up and watch football so no 14ers for me I'm thinking I might punish myself with Bedford and Oxford this Sunday but we'll see um Mark you're about to be on the rabbinical equivalent of international duty um how is the beginning of the high holiday season for ye it's okay uh there's a lot of writing uh I write uh, about five sermons for the high holidays and you know in in you know it's uh you know how like the in the sports world they'll say like oh we're taking it one game at a time. It's a little more complicated in my world in that like you're expected to kind of produce a lot of material really quickly and I've been doing this this is my 18th year as a rabbi. I've come to the conclusion that writing the five greatest sermons of your entire life is not a realistic standard to set. So I always try and kind of balance them, like make sure they're all like different and hit different areas and that some are like, I I definitely am thinking like one of these is going to be fantastic. And it's like, this is my, this is the one that I'm really looking forward to. And a couple others, I'm like, yeah, this, this is fine. It doesn't have to be the greatest thing I've ever done. It just has to be a solid piece of work. So sometimes you show up to the game with Messi and you're expecting to win by five goals. And some days you just show up uh, without Messi and you grind out a one, one result and you're, and you're happy with it. So it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of the way I take things. It's also just a long stretch, you know, it was um, three days of leading services and so on. And, and so it's, uh, 
it's it's our busy season, but I think the the biggest thing for me is that you're managing expectations also that you're just kind of like trying to find that, you know, that that balance where you're not getting too high, you're not getting too low, you're working the right amount, not a crazy amount. So it's tricky. It's it's hard to find, but but I, I'm getting better at it every year. So uh, the next one up is really tough because it's a 25 hour fast on top of all that. So you're doing all the you're doing all the rabbiing and then you're also um, trying not to faint. So. Um, and then the funniest thing, the last thing I'll say is this, one of the, one of the things is, is, you know, I don't lead everything anymore. I have a, I have a cantor who comes in from Israel. Um, and when the cantor comes in from, uh, the one job that I have, um, still that the cantor doesn't do other than the sermons and saying other interesting nifty little rabbi things is I blow the shofar, I blow the ram's horn. And people are always really impressed at my lung capacity. That there's one big blast that you say you 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 know you you blow the you blow the shofar for a really long period of time, and it's really kind of embarrassing that like I'll work for hours on writing the most brilliant sermon I've ever given in my entire life, but the compliment that people will give at the end of services is, "Wow, Rabbi, you can really blow that horn." It's like that's <laughs> really not what I want to be known for. We truly are brothers from another mother, Mark, because I just booked a homecoming weekend for the Miami Hurricanes is the weekend after the regular season ends. I'm betting here, listeners, that the Colorado Rapids will not be playing a playoff game that weekend. And so it is alumni band coming up, Mark. It is the 75th anniversary of the University of Miami Band of the Hour, and I've been given sheet music, and I need to go find my tuba mouthpiece as well. So, uh, Mark, if you need any help in terms of the buzzing, embouchure, approach to playing uh horn wind instruments i would be happy to help you on that front but nice. uh mark you mentioned taking it one day at a time and there's more difficult stuff to come and it's important to not get overhyped and i think those are all applicable for rapids fans who saw my report from earlier today mark as i was at training ahead of tomorrow's match against seattle sounders and boy was jack price out there running around and then doing some light individual ball work a sight for sore eyes so mm. listeners i think it is time for us to properly bring back uh from field 20 which i feel like was a regular mark in like season one season two of hthl but so jack price is back listeners it was his first day properly back at training i should point out he is not anywhere close to playing he will not be starting tomorrow against seattle at all uh spoke with chris little afterwards and you know he said um having here is a big boost to our team just an immediately or a morale boost Uh, mark he's going to start traveling with the team as well so i don't know if jack i have to assume that means that jack's going to be on the charter flight to portland maybe doing some warm-up stuff with the team as well on match day in Providence Park as well and he is still very much I can confirm on his return to play protocol and there's a number of other checks and ramping up and levels of intensity that have to happen before he starts to do more intense technical ball work certainly he's just getting back to running there was very very light jogging Mark that he was doing with a physio and Alex Gerst back as well I feel very confident Mark that you and I could have been able to keep up with what they Mm -hmm. were doing from a cardio speed standpoint that's not an on what they're doing but jack has more work to do as well but there was also a funny aside mark he was doing some individual ball work close to where the fenced area was i was with uh two members of the rapids comms team and we were joking about how the sounders teased a possible rebrand that is coming 
next week and then we were talking about oh rebrands and other stuff that has happened and then um we got talking about the newest team of the nhl which is the seattle kraken and i went down this long diatribe mark uh the kraken is the or the evolute the squid that the mythological kraken is based upon is the only known uh past prehistoric or current um uh known natural predator of the orca the um the killer whales and the killer whale is crudely the mascot the logo for the vancouver canucks and so part of the interest in that was seattle's local cascadia rivalry with vancouver and then thus obviously the vancouver canucks and now the seattle kraken was the idea to have the kraken and so jack price is doing some stretching in between his drills and everything he looks over at us and he's like why are you guys talking about killer whales what's going on over there (laughs) and the fact that jack price's banter was up to a hundred on his first day back, just I know that Jack Price is going to be healthy. Uh, other news and notes that happened from training folks, uh, Sidney Tavares fully participating in training. Um, I got word that the substitution that, that we had from him on Saturday was a precautionary substitution and it was likely uh cramping in the abdominal area he trained fully today uh he's good to go uh he should be available for tomorrow mark unless something happens against seattle i would be shocked if Tavares gets less than 120 minutes this double game week and then luis diaz also is ramping up as well he's feeling better physically than he did last week than he did the week before when he joined the rapids midweek as well um i wouldn't expect him to start but the the club continues to be happy with the progress that he's making from a fitness standpoint. And I would not be shocked, Mark, if he's in the game day squad once or twice this week. And I I very well think it's plausible that we do see a Luis Diaz uh, debut this week. Uh, Mark, thoughts on what I've reported, what I've said, any questions for me that you think are relevant as we uh, move on? Anything you thought about the way that they were preparing? Any uh, any notes on kind of uh, areas of uh, uh, the coaches were kind of focusing on, or is maybe a bigger a bigger question is: Have you noticed any big difference between the way Chris Little runs practice from the way um, Robin Frazier runs practice? Uh, they spent a lot of time, Mark, working on the defensive setup when Seattle, w- when the the prep team, the the B team, effectively playing as Seattle as the scout team were um, playing out of the back and then working at pressing that and then creating a pressing trigger to then win the ball and then move in transition. And I've seen, I've seen, I've been at trainings where usually either if it's a short week, um, so if they, if they're playing, if they played on a Saturday and then if they play Wednesday, Saturday, even though it's the day before a game, they'll work a lot on set pieces, but they will work on set pieces. They'll spend more time on it if it's a big week, uh, if they have a full week off as well. So it was not untypical for me to see how much time they spent on set pieces but they spent for me at least I'm not out there with a stopwatch clocking Chris Sharpie between drills mark but I feel like they spent more time on defensive set pieces than they did on attacking set pieces and then particularly indirect free kicks that were not from corners so say foul at midfield or just inside the final third and Nicolo Dero whipping in a ball to try and find a, a Jordan Morris a Yamar Gomez Andrade one of those players they worked a lot on that in terms of what's different about that mark i don't know that the drills are that different or the sequences in which they do that are all that different but the the energy is very much up there the three trainings that i've been to since um 
uh, since Robin got the sack have all looked very energetic, very intense in terms of the inner squad play that they have. They've been mixing and matching, and there's clearly competition for spots as well. I, From what I've seen in training, Mark, from what I saw on the touch line on Saturday, from what I have seen in the media availability, both with me and with other people as well, Chris Little is bringing the right energy. Mm. He is a very good coach. I, I thought he was a very good assistant before, you know, two weeks ago when he became the interim as well. I don't know that he's the guy for the job long term for mm. what the club is looking for, but he very much understands the assignment. And right now he is passing with flying colors. Wow. That's, it sounds, that's a, that's a, that's a good thing. And I think just the, the general idea that, and we saw it this last week that uh, he brings different energy and the players have different energy because of that is a really notable thing. I mean, I think, you know, changing the rhythm by changing the coach uh, changing the energy, changing the excitement, changing the effort, all of that's really important, even if you don't really want to have to change coaches, if you can help it. Uh, and then last thing that I'll say, Mark, uh, Chris Little did say the hope is by season's end that we start to see Jack Price getting involved in some team activities and fully participating in training or being much more involved in those team activities. So that sets up really well, Rabbi, for Price to then, it makes sense, listeners, that a couple of players that maybe didn't get as much playing time throughout the season will stay maybe an extra couple weeks, sometimes up to a month. So let's say right up until that week of Thanksgiving would be a good breaking point and then that sets you up better for the timeline for how the offseason is for teams that do not make the playoffs. So I wouldn't be surprised then, Mark, if we see ultimately by if the Rapids are still doing some individual, you know, 10, 15 players at the absolute most who are still around are doing training sessions into those first two weeks of November that Jack Price is training normally as if it was um, preseason or regular season as well. And so that would then set him up to go into a proper preseason regimen. I, I still think it's up in the air mark in terms of his future with the club as well but just very encouraging to see him back and everything he looked his proper energy he came over to say hi to me it, it looked like pricey was it, it, it looked like he was coming back from if they were doing a regen send session mark on a sunday afternoon after playing a road game and you know they got in at you know two three in the morning and it's hey go home get eight nine hours of sleep come back and let's just do some light work really really light stuff it looked like normal pricey for me and so to see that six months after his ACL injury, or excuse me, his uh, his Achilles tendon tear is super encouraging. And I don't know if we have any Rapids Jets fans, Mark, but maybe that's encouraging for right. um, old man Aaron I caught Rogers that reference. Back. <laughs> I understood that reference, he said, <laughs> quoting a, a Marvel movie. Uh, Mark, shall we move into uh, New England? Ooh, let's talk about New England. Listeners, this past Saturday, the Colorado Rapids won a freaking home game. Oh my goodness. We are going to separate this out, listeners. So we're going to talk about what happened on the field, actually, and then we'll get to the protest, the walkout, and what happened off the field and everything that have happened since with that as well. So for now, just talking about on the field, Mark, uh, Rapids come out in a 4-3-3, just like I saw in training today. I thought the pressing was really good. I thought the energy was better. I still don't think they were sharp or quick enough with the ball, but they were set up in a much better way to negate what New England was trying to do and limit their opportunities from the run of play. I do think New England was still very dangerous on set pieces. You know, uh, Carlos Seal had a really good opportunity off a direct set piece. Uh, six, seven minutes into the game, Mark Mark Anthony Kay, former Colorado Rapid, uh, had a chance on a header that goes off the crossbar as well. Marco Ilicha had to make a couple really big saves in the second half when New England started to push. But on the whole, from in terms of uh, we saw 
during the three-game losing streak that led to Robin getting fired, the Rapids were not good in any phase of the play. And at least in between the boxes, I thought the Rapids were back to their baseline in terms of intensity, in terms of quality, in terms of desire to win, as to, to steal a quote from Porrick Smith there. Cole Bassett and Calvin Harris with goals, Mark. Uh, Bassett breaks his duck on a header that he got that was flicked on from uh, Rafael Navajo. I should say man of the match Rafael Navajo, folks, who did a knee slide like he scored the goal. Uh, the players had a nice little chuckle about that, I've been told. Um, but, uh, you know, a game of moments, Mark, and ultimately the Rapids had two brilliant moments from individuals who absolutely needed a goal. They had good moments from a goalkeeper who had not quite proven himself yet to me as well. Yeah. And they were good enough in moments when they needed to. And to be fair, Mark, uh, I, I still question whether or not this is a false positive, given the where the heads were at for New England Revolution. But I have to say, Mark, I've watched a fair bit of Carlos Hill this season. This is one of the worst performances I have seen from him mm. in New England, regardless of all the chaos that happened off the field for the Revs. Rabbi, your good things from this past Saturday's win. Man, that um, that headed goal from Cole Bassett was just beautiful. I mean, he just really he rose up and met the ball. Um, and, and, uh, the service from Connor Ronan was fantastic. Um, and then the, the, the other, the second goal, um, from Calvin Harris was just really exciting for him. You know, he, he, he took it, uh, the long diagonal, settled it with his right foot comfortably as a good professional should, but then he cut in with his left, um, found the side netting very comfortably and, and just looked very comfortable and, he looked super amped to score the goal. He ran right to the sideline. That's something we haven't seen in a while, running to the head coach, running to the sideline, showing love. That was great. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, running to Wildy Harris, Mark. Oh, yeah? Uh, his, yeah, so he he hugged Wildy Harris, not Chris Little or anybody else. And there's a nice little quote from him post-game. And I spoke to uh, I spoke to Calvin today as well. Um, they just, they've worked so much together. There's been so many things that Calvin has had to wasn't getting right in preseason and in early parts of the season in training. That was the reason why he wasn't getting played. And then part of where he's gotten more opportunities, you know, right around, uh, right before the start of Lee's Cup play, he was starting to do better in those trainings. But then what he was doing in training wasn't transitioning to uh, what he was doing in the actual games themselves. And he said, you know, and there, there was a nice little joke of the, like he scores that exact goal, you know, two or three times in in training on a weekly basis. So nice. to finally put that through and then to run over and immediately hug the coach who's worked right. with you so much, who's put so much faith in you and is part of why you are now in the ascendancy this season um, was, you know, a, a nice little moment of humanity, I think, for both of them. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, um, uh, and, and you, you said it really nicely that uh, Marco Illich had really his best performance as a Colorado Rapid. Um, it's hard to figure out how to take too much from this game. I'm not, I'm not under, I'm not ruining the the good thing, but there's no way in the format that we create, Matt, of um, of talking about good thing, bad thing, big thing. Um, we always focus on our team. We never really think about the opposing team. Um, just remember that as much as the Colorado Rapids were experiencing a lot of chaos going into this week with a brand new coach and with the um, protests from C38 that we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, things are a lot worse over on the Rev side. Um, you know, they went through actually two coaches in the last basically week. Uh, they fired um, Bruce Arena under very... Bruce Arena resigned, Mark. Thank you. Well said. They, they under very um, cloudy circumstances, still nobody really knows 
what it was that he got suspended for. Um, we're still waiting for that information to come out, if it ever comes out, which is kind of a shocking thing. And then they appointed a new head coach and then fired some of their other assistant coaches, swore everyone to secrecy with an NDA clause about what happened with the arena. And then the players um, rejected the new coach, apparently. And then the new coach was jettisoned for another coach. Um, and so all that chaos is probably why New England flew across the country and then just really didn't look particularly well organized or coordinated. Um, they had a hard time, I think, uh, 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 working together. But I also think particularly the back line looked um, at as uh, our good friend, um, uh, the former announcer for the Colorado Rapids would Richard say. Richard Fleming. Richard Fleming, that's the one. Um, they were at sixes and sevens. I mean, they really just didn't look... Um, at the back line, like they were ready to stop the Rapids. So I, I'm not, I'm not uh, taking away from what Colorado did in this match. They had a good game, um, but they were playing a team that was in utter chaos. Uh, you took uh, most of the good things I have, but first of all, Mark, I have to say uh, this is another win for Jamison Knight. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, folk, uh, folks. Uh, uh, Jason Maxwell from Views from the Couch did a really good histrionics on the start of Jamison Knight and its history as well, um, and that ended up being successful against the New England Revolution. And then just to throw a couple of stats out there for you, Mark, uh, Calvin Harris, that was his first goal for the Rapids' first team. He has mm-hmm. worked for R2 and MLS Next Pro. It is his first MLS league goal since may 4th 2022 with fc cincinnati um so that was a big deal for him uh marco ilicha mark i believe this is the first time he's had his family here he's had his partner in market in denver with him at times in the past and now permanently as well but his family was here i got a nice photo of that that i put out on burgundy waves twitter account of them of a bunch of people coming together and them taking a group photo as well so nice to see him perform well in front of his family as well so i thought he was excellent mark you know we've kind of seen the questions that we've had about illich have been um in his organization defensively and then his individual shot stopping and in big moments where chaos was happening in front of him he came up really really good and i thought that was nice and i think this is the most coherent we have seen the back line in front of him granted there'd been chopping and changing you know those last three or four games that robin managed mark i think we can say in hindsight he was throwing stuff at the wall to see what stuck and i think now you've seen uh, a back four rosenberg on the right we know that he's going to be solid max Shu, i think is more comfortable in a in a four than he is on a five we know Gutman's going to be good and I thought Bombito as well Mark looked you know really decent and the last couple times that we saw Bombito was a really horrible end to the game in Toluca where he did not look good and stormed off the field mad at himself and then being played out of position where him and Ralph Preso got absolutely cooked in Minnesota and didn't look good particularly either without Keegan Rosenberry so something potentially to build on in terms of the this is if nothing else mark we have a baseline hey this worked let's try it again or make a couple tweaks to it to see if it works again defensively and it should be said mark um for as much as we've slagged on uh ralph preso in the last couple of months as well he comes on unexpectedly in the 30th minute with Tavares with that minor non-contact injury the um uh, abdominal cramping that i reported on earlier today and didn't completely poop the bed that led to a new england revolution goal so um lots of little positives to be out there but again mark i i think we both we're both we're in agreement that 
this should be taken with a grain of salt because how much of this is a false positive mm-hmm. given the quality of the opponent? And you look at a Seattle Sounders now who are coming in, do not want to cede any more ground to LAFC or St. Louis City coming in this week or certainly want to get a result. And Portland Timbers had an absolutely fantastic week the other week, folks. And clearly they're enjoying their new coach bump and they're trying to push for the playoffs as well, Mark. So I have to be thinking, um, not to get ahead of ourselves, but for Saturday's game, Portland has to be looking at that home game on Saturday night as three points. I think we'll have a much better understanding of the Rapids new coach bump vis-a-vis the players figuring it out, taking ownership now that Robin's gone, vis-a-vis how much of this was just simplifying and bringing new energy for Chris Little this week, then obviously the mutually, the multivariable uncertainty that has been, that was this game against the New England Revolution. Uh, Mark, I'll, I'll kick it off with bag things as well. I'm still not convinced of the Rapids set piece defending. You know, you had the, yeah, the open header for Mark Anthony Kay that on another day, he puts that one foot down and six minutes in, we're talking about the revs being up a goal. Um, Carlos Hill, I think got too many opportunities on direct free kicks. So situational awareness in terms of when to foul and when is it worth fouling is maybe something the Rapids could have done a better job on. And it should be said, Mark, the one revs goal that albeit came in garbage time was in the two minutes of stoppage time, whereas Omar Gonzalez, on a relatively open tap-in header Mm. for him as well. Um, Mark, I'm not sure. I I think still technically the Rapids won the Omar Derby because because the Rapids ended up winning. I don't know how we square Omar Gonzalez getting a goal in stoppage time when it was, what, 15 seconds after the ensuing kickoff that the whistle blew for full time. But then also Navajo forced a really cynical yellow card from Revolution Omar Gonzalez on this one. So Mark, maybe this is hashtag HTHL asks OG tweets about whether or not he thought that he won the Omar Gonzalez Derby in this one. But set piece defending Mark still a concern for me. We saw that being a problem in the Rocky Mountain Cup against Real Salt Lake. And we saw that against New England, who other than Carlos Heel taking direct free kicks aren't necessarily a threatening team. Mark Nico Lodero's right foot. Uh, you look at what the Timbers are going to be able to do on turf with Evander now that he's starting to cook as well. This is a concern that I have. And I'm still not convinced, Mark, that the Rapids have been on an uptick without Jack Price on set piece, um, set, uh, set piece plays. And in that regard, that has me, now that we're putting the entire coaching staff and all the players under the magnifying glass with Robin Frazier gone. That has me kind of wondering, is there something else going on? Has Chris Sharpie lost his touch? Is the goalkeeper coach position potentially up for reevaluation upon the hiring of the new head coach? Just some thoughts that are in my brain. Mark, bad things for you. Oh, I just wanted to note that Omar Gonzalez's goal, according to my records, is his 20th goal as an MLS player. Um, among defenders, that would put him, I think, somewhere around third for all-time goals for MLS defenders. Walker Zimmerman with 25, I think, is the leader, although that that number is a couple years old, so it's probably higher than that uh, by now. Um, Maynor Figueroa also had 19 goals as a MLS player. Pretty impressive. Um, Maynor retired last year, former Colorado Rapid. Um, I don't really have a whole lot of bad things. My only bad thing I think I mentioned before, which is that Beating a team that is in its in bad shape doesn't really tell you much about the Colorado Rapids. Um, you know, I, I think they mostly looked solid, um, and they converted more of their chances um, than they normally do. I think this is a Rapids team that, um, when given the level of expected goals that they turned out in this game, 
will more often than not score zero goals. Um, so there is a world where this game ends zero zero, but um, you know they they did kind of go out and, and do the thing, and that was really good. So that's all I got, Matt. What's your big thing? Oh, I was just uh, we said it a couple times now, Mark. Uh, taking this game with a grain of salt, given the emotional state of the opponent, and I think we'll have a much better sample size with three games played, given the the double header the Rapids have against the Cascadia teams this weekend um mark i i probably need to i was i was talking to somebody at the club about this and neither of us remembered how the club is now handling man of the match this year i remember a couple years ago it was a there was like an auto text number and then like you texted in during the game after like the 80th 85th minute or something like that and then they gave you like a handful of like three or four names to choose from and then you responded a b c or d depending on the player that you wanted so i know there were a lot of people that kind of saw oh navajo getting the ore and like that being a little bit surprising i thought navajo was good mark i thought his hold up play continues to be really good mm. he's doing a lot with a little in terms of opportunities he is still a number nine who is not getting the ball enough in dangerous enough areas and mm-hmm. he's largely doing a lot of this without very much help that being said you get Cole Bassett finally scoring a goal. You get Calvin Harris scoring, you know, for him, his signature move as a striker in order to score the game-winning goal. And you have Marco Illich, uh, arguably, easily, his best performance for the Colorado Rapids. All three of those more deserving than Rafael Navajo as well. So I'm going to try and figure out sometime this week, Mark, I will be paying attention tomorrow night at the Richard how they ultimately determine the um, uh, the man of the match. I do not think, Mark, this is a internal marketing, state-run media propaganda thing of, oh, let's give it to the new DP in order to hype him up like that. I, I think it was probably nobody pays attention to an ad read during a game about texting in. Nobody wants to give their cell phone number if they don't already have it to the Colorado Rapids. And then maybe <laughs> like 12 people voted and then one person accidentally hit Navajo instead of Bassett. And then that led to Navajo being given the ore. I was also kind of surprised, Mark. It's as we'll get to in a minute. It wasn't clear to me that the ore was going to be delivered by somebody in order to be given to a player in this game. But um, we'll move on. I think the New England game is done and dusted, Mark. We're now going to talk about what happened before the game in the stands and what has happened in the media covered sense. But before we do that, in the spirit of independent media covering the Rapids and giving the due to the state of the club, Mark, how can Highliners best support HTHL? We love uh, the people who listen to this podcast. We love the people who read our Substack. We love the people who read Matt's work over at Burgundy Wave and contribute to um, Burgundy Wave's Patreon. Um, we, over here at Holding the Highline, are supported by you, our loyal listeners, uh, for both the podcast and the Substack. We do this uh, even though we love following the Rapids ourselves. We love driving out to training. We love flying out to road games or uh, driving out to road games, in my case, this past year, and interviewing the players. We love spending our days off of our day jobs writing soccers for the HTHL subsec. But we also like to pay our rent and occasionally hoist a pint provided by our listeners as a thank you to our efforts. So if you can, help us out by subscribing to our Substack. You can become a paid supporter, a.k.a. a highliner, by putting in just $5 a month or $42 a year. A yearly subscription will get you some discounted or free merch from us this year. This year we gave out pint glasses. We have three more pint glasses, so you can still get one. Um, And that additionally will give you potentially some behind the paywall articles or 
audio uh, recordings. You will be supporting citizen soccer journalism, and we appreciate it. Back to you, Matt. So, Mark, the protest and the walkout happened. I guess uh, let's go through this chronologically, Mark. I I was not surprised, given it was a metal band at the tailgate, that there was a fair bit of black. Black is not normally a color that I'm looking for when it comes to viewing a Colorado Rapids crowd. If we're comparing that, Mark, to, say, me seeing our Los Angeles Kings when they play the Avalanche, that's something that I'm looking for. But, you know, normally I'm looking at burgundy, I'm looking at blue, um, past colors of the Colorado Rapids I'm looking for, and then I'm looking for away colors from the opponent as well. But, you know, the, the Rapids don't have a lot of black merch. I'm not looking at black that much in the past. So all of that is kind of a, you know, a good two, three finger pinch of salt to um, me and the other members of Press Row looking around the stadium uh, pregame and then during the game as well and being like, that's a lot of black. I feel like if this many people, if the stadium was this full and this many people were wearing black in the past during a summer game to where it wasn't like your big black North Face jacket, I feel like would have noticed that as well. So that immediately, is that another signal or not? Obviously, C-38, Section 117 for the first 20 minutes was thoroughly packed out. Lots of black, obviously, in there as well. And then the protest happened the way that it has been, Mark. I was down physically in the stands as well. As I mentioned earlier, a number of members of Rapids Press Row throughout the stadium to kind of cover it from all angles. Um, Kronky out was chanted. Uh, there was a chant. I didn't get the details from Warners on this, but they were chanting something about saying, you're going to miss us in the second half with them not being there. And fire pork was said. So a lot of the chants that were tested out and seemed to work at the Rapids 2 game, in which a number of members of C-38 attended to and did that to support the 2s, but then also partially protest that was present. And then it was a full, it was an exodus, Mark. Like, it was, it might as well have been, like, full-time and then just standard, we're going home, we're not staying to clap off the players or anything like that. And within a couple of minutes, the entire 117 was vacated. The capo did say, Mark, that for people who wanted to stay to consolidate into what is it? I think it's 118. So the stand to the west, the one that's the now the second safe standing area that they have there. And that section was relatively full in the second half as well. So I think there's a valid question of how many people who are in 117, who vacated 117, filled in the spaces elsewhere in the south stand versus went to Dale's Pub versus left the stadium and only actually were there for 20 minutes of soccer. Um the tailgate resumed, Mark. They had the big, um, uh, they had a big projector on. My understanding, a number of fans were probably checking the scoreline of what was going on in Boulder. I know you're not a throwball guy, Mark, but there was an absolutely wild. Um, I was aware. It made big news. Apparently, it was the fifth most watched college football game in history, which is yes. crazy that that Deion Sanders is getting that much attention. But you know, even I know who Deion Sanders is, and I don't like throwball. Yes. So um so there was that as well and then obviously Mark that left the um that left the section of 117 empty with just saying the banners the same uh line that we saw at the end of the C38 open letter. Um I'm going to mix up let me look up the photo so I don't mix up the order on this one. Um 
the badge, the players, the fans deserve better. I should say, Mark, I'm not going to dox this person because one, they're a member of the Rapids community. Two, I don't have permission. Three, that person has revealed themselves and that name has come out as well. There was a fan, Mark, who since sometime in the second half wandered into 117 and then started to take down the deserve better of the so there were there were four banners that actually had it folks if you haven't seen the photo that's out there and so the bottom one was deserve better and he was starting to take that down i assume a member of c38 probably based in section 118 mark went over and apparently the conversation was a debate about um <clears throat> whether or not it was disrespectful to the players or the club or what's going on um there and then the banner was quickly restored after that and then obviously at the end of full time uh you had all everything being taken down um that was done by c38 personnel so i can confirm that is what actually happened there there was a point where someone kind of wondered did an usher or did like someone from the club go and start taking down the banners that is not what happened just to be abundantly clear with that but it speaks to mark i I spoke to a number of people i visited with eric stitson i visited with mark johnson um i saw a number of fans who um uh were doing the uh who were chanting Kroenke out but not wearing black I spoke to a number of people at the tailgate who were wearing black but chose not to walk out there's I think a legitimate and fair conflict here Mark that fans have about squaring the circle of how do I express my frustration in a productive way towards the club but then make it clear that that is at ownership that's at the front office that is not to the people on the field the people working on field 20 on a daily basis and I think we can have empathy and we can have a space for the fan who wants to wear black, um, a fan who wants to chant Kroenke out, who wants to chant fire pork, but then wants to stay for 90 minutes and support their club. And understandably, Mark, a, a good portion of the people who um, who walked out in the 20th minute are season ticket holders who back in you know February, March, April gave their money for the season to KSE, and there's no getting that their money back from KSE. KSE already has their money. If I show up, I don't wear any merch, I don't buy any in-stadium stuff or whatever, I obviously am not paying for parking, and I spend all my money at the tailgate and having that fun there, then I'm not further financially enriching KSE. Is that enough in terms of dealing with that from a protest standpoint? I think it's valid. Um, Mark, the Rapids only have four home games left this season. Two of them are on Wednesdays, obviously are on Wednesdays. One of them is um, the game tomorrow. I've spoken to a number of people at C38 who are like, ah, we're not really going to do like an as formal organized protest because there aren't going to be that many people there anyways. I'm kind of wondering, Mark, is this a, with only two more Saturday home games left as well, and who knows what the Buffs are doing on October 21st, maybe they're still ranked, and I don't know, are they playing USC that game or something like that, of... Is KSC thinking, oh, this? let's just get to October 21st, have no destruction of property or anything like that. The offseason will happen. We'll make one or two um, signings. Enough time will pass between the most recent Rapids loss. And then just like every single February, Rapids fans will come in with a cautious level of optimism. And then we'll start up back at normal, Mark. And then the new head coach will have 10, 15 games for it to go horribly wrong before we get back to this level as well. And... Um, I guess we couple this mark with the um, the actual uh, statement that we got from uh, with Josh Kroenke's name on it afterwards that I didn't think that much of, if I'm being honest with you, Mark. Mm-hmm. Here, let me pull it up where. Maybe I'll leave this in. So listeners know, Mark, that there are points where I don't have something in front of me and this like humanizes <laughs> us and everything. I'm leaving this in. 
So, okay, here's the open letter mark. Uh, would it be instructive for me to read it out? Go for it. Okay, um, so this is signed Josh Kroenke. This is a club statement that was posted on Twitter at 1.02 p.m. The open letter from C38 was posted that day at 10.30 a.m. I have a very good understanding, Mark, that key members of the front office received that letter at least 24 hours in advance from when it was posted publicly. So from Josh Kroenke, uh, we respect our supporters and are grateful for the passion they demonstrate for the club while also acknowledging and understanding their frustration. We are committed to the Rapids' long-term success within the core principles of the club and to being a club that our fans and all Coloradans can be proud of. On the field, we're focused on returning the team to the levels of competitiveness we expect to have seen in recent and expect and have seen in recent years off the field we have already engaged legends uh civitas perkins and will and turner construction on a number of feasibility studies and analyses around potential infrastructure projects that will assess the a future vision for dick sporting its park and the club's training environment we are also actively envisioning additions uh additional ways to enhance the game day experience inside and outside the stadium over the next few months we will be finalizing the master plan for our exciting victory crossing project when this is ready in early 2024, we will be hosting several open forums with supporters and members of the community to gather feedback on our plans for the club, stadium, and entire project. Our supporters will always be the lifeblood of our club. We hear you and we look forward to having an ongoing dialogue with Centennial 38 over their concerns and our plans for the future. Signed, Josh Kroenke. Quote, ongoing dialogue, unquote, Mark. I take exception to that description because that implies that the dialogue has been happening. And my understanding is communication from a Rapids FO and from an ownership standpoint to the supporters has been minimal or potentially non-existent as well um, in that. And nowhere in there do they say we're spending more money on the first team. As we'll get to in a bit, Mark, that was the one thing that kind of everybody who touched on this from a media standpoint agreed was an issue. It's nice that Victory Crossing is happening, Mark. I can report now that off of the, what was it, the July or the June 31st, whatever that deadline meeting was that got punted because um, uh, public city councils don't make any decisions super quickly. And that was got really heated with people going after KSC. Um, you know, I, I'm hearing that that interaction and between all parties and wanting something to move forward that's mutually beneficial and something close to the original vision of Victory Crossing that like that relationship and the feeling of getting it done has never been more progressive and never been more positive in the entire time that I have covered the club. That being said, Mark, as someone who works in construction, you're looking at like 2025, probably the start of 2026 at best for this to happen. So it's good that the club's looking into that. It's good that they're looking into infrastructure, Mark, uh, that's going to enhance the first team and is going to enhance the game day and outside the game day experience as well. But fundamentally, what does KSC has, what has, what have the Cronkies always done a good job of real estate? I don't hear, uh, you know, I, I don't hear spending more money. I don't hear hearing the fans out. 
uh, other than whatever ongoing dialogue implies in there. And I don't hear, hey, by the way, we're going to start pumping in two more million dollars a year to Pork Smith um, to be more competitive from a external transfer fee standpoint as well there. Um, and so it's it's not obvious to me, Mark, that what happened between the open letter and the um, and the protest on Saturday moved the needle in terms of ownership taking action. And I think, unfortunately, they're right that unless this becomes a more regularly occurring thing and unless the percentages of people who renew or new signups for season ticket members go down, I don't know that enough has happened. The, the noise is happening. KSC needs to be hurt in their wallet, I think, for them to actually take action. I'm not convinced at this point, Mark, that that's going to happen between now and the start of 2024. Rabbi, I've been talking a lot. Your thoughts on all the protests and everything that happened? Yeah, I, I, I'm proud of uh, C38 for organizing it and carrying it out. I think it was really solid um, in execution. The media, um, you know, Jeff Reuter wrote a great story for The Athletic. Um, there's a, a an article they do every Monday called... MLS Weekly, it's kind of a roundtable of the three or four major uh, guys who cover MLS for The Athletic, and they do a really good article every Monday, and I don't think it gets quite enough attention as it deserves. The Athletic kind of buries things in, in its uh, kind of like convoluted ginormousness, um, although maybe that'll change now that uh, the uh, New York Times, which owns them, has eliminated their sports division and all sports for The New York Times are um, going to be coming from The Athletic. But Reuter put uh, in MLS Weekly the top story was the Colorado Rapids. And, I mean, The Athletic and MLS have been pumping, you know, messy, messy, messy every minute of the day. So to put the Colorado Rapids as the top story was kind of exciting. I mean, it, it helps that Messi didn't play Mark yes. and Atlanta absolutely schwacked. Them. I knew that. I knew that, but I still thought it was important. Um, the second story, of course, was all the chaos at the Revolution. So that was kind of interesting. Um, uh, I think overwhelmingly, if you look on social media, the Rapids narrative of, hey, we won a game, was absolutely buried in comparison to the protest. And I think that that's how it should be. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how some of the other independent media folks out there like uh, Morning Footy on CBS Golazo, which is part of Paramount Plus, how they're going to talk about it. They don't spend a lot of time on MLS because it's not a network that they carry, um, but they do cover all things uh, soccer and America related since it's an American soccer website. Um, I don't think ESPN covered it much, but anyways, uh, you know, I think it's a step in the right direction. It will take concerted effort for a long time force movement to be had i think your conjecture about whether ksc is going to kind of grind it out and see if they can't sweep this all under the rug till october 21st and then address it later is a really good point um i don't think i think what you read from josh Cronkey, you know is a slightly different version of the way Porrick Smith addresses the media but basically the same which is retweet we're going to use words in a salad formation to kind of acknowledge that things haven't been ideal this season without committing to any short-term or long-term changes in the team. Um, we're going to pretend like we're going to engage in quote-unquote dialogue with C38, although that's asymmetrical warfare. You know, it, KSC and C38 are not on equal footing, and so they can just have that meeting, say we hear you, ignore them completely, and then come back to the table, hopefully next year, 
they'll be mid-table or they'll be, you know, they'll make the playoffs and C38 will leave them alone. And that will be it. Like that's, that's where they, that's the sweeping under the rug that I think they're, they're hoping to do. Um, you know, I, I remember talking about this in a very different context with the folks at um, the sh- supporters group for the Charlotte independence, uh, Jack's militia, when they were having real problems with their management and they had a meeting and they kind of addressed their grievances and management said, thank you for addressing your grievances. We'd like to follow up with this, you know, at another meeting coming up. And then they never met again and they never spoke again. And that was it. And um, I'm not saying KSC is going to be that callous, but, you know, you can have a meeting with your supporters group leadership um, and and talk and commit to nothing because the supporters group doesn't quite have the leverage. You know, the only leverage they have is boycotting and that is the nuclear option i mean it is we're experiencing in america right now with the writer strike with the sag after strike and now with the united auto worker strike which is the only leverage the workers have is to completely boycott you know to completely strike and it's a nuclear option and it's it's harmful for them it's not what they want to do they want to build cars they want to act they want to write tv shows and soccer supporters want to go to the match they don't want to give up their tickets so um it's a tough it's a tough call it's a tough position they're in i i think c38 will continue to sustain this through the year i do think if ticket sales for next year are down enough and the narrative has been out there pretty clearly of fire porik i definitely think ksc is having that conversation internally they're not necessarily pretending like oh we'll just sweep it under the rug and it'll all be okay i think they definitely are currently sweeping under the rug while holding in their back pocket maybe we need to do something and maybe some action i don't think selling the team is an option right now no but um you know that that comes later that comes that comes if things are are really catastrophic or as i mentioned in a tweet this week you know there are other billionaires. In fact, there are lots of billionaires in America. There's several hundred billionaires in America. There has to be one billionaire in America who doesn't currently own an MLS team who cares more about Major League Soccer than Josh Kroenke. There has to be like one. There's got to be one one guy out there. I mean, you're not you're not telling me, you know, like there's nobody out there. I mean, granted, a bunch of them are relatives of Stan Kroenke because the the, the Walton family, I think, has five billionaires in it by itself. But there's got to be some other folks who, who want to own a Major League Soccer team. I don't know. Isn't Jeff Bezos from Colorado originally, Mark? Do I have <gasps> Is that? that true? Oh, he was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Close so, enough. Okay, so he so Jeff Bezos needs to buy uh needs to buy New Mexico United and turn them into an MLS team and have like their stadium be like a literal like their stadium needs to be inside a meow wolf. I feel like that needs to happen. But there's gotta be a Colorado billionaire that we can have or something like that. Um, you know, I guess Elon's short on cash now with what's happening to Twitter X on Yeah, that. He, he's only got forty one billion dollars to kind of play with, I'm sure. I, I feel like if I, I feel like if KSC was offered 41 billion dollars for the rapids i think they'd sell mark but um so to your point rabbi i I think it's a valid question i i think if um not to tell c38 how to protest because mark you and i have never been rapid season ticket holders you've oh i have but i was i was for two years but yeah but and i was in 118 i was in the uh the off-brand family uh supporter section for a year 
So not 118, what 108, 108. Neither of us is currently a season ticket member. Neither of us is currently a member of C38. We're not going to tell you how to protest here, Mark, but I feel like if C38 then doesn't get some kind of movement in these next couple weeks as well, if they were to say, if they were to flat out say like, hey, um, none of us are are entering the stadium for the rest of the season we'll come for the tailgate and then leave as soon as the game starts and then if uh if josh doesn't sit down and have an hour-long meeting with our leadership and at least like give us an audience to say like you know you stupid maniacal selfish billionaire why don't you spend more money on this team like they stop telling us to just be happy with what we have and everything we're falling behind you're destroying my club you're destroying the love for my club if you don't give us that audience none of us are renewing season tickets and 117 is going to be empty next year or 117 is effectively going to be returned to the club in terms of dealing with ticket sales and everything, I think that'd get a lot more traction. But we'll see what happens. Mark, let's talk about how this was covered because I think there's been a, to your point, the from a Rapids and an MLS Twitter standpoint, the Rapids finally getting a win and the disaster that was the New England Revolution was drowned out largely by the protest. But that can be an echo chamber as well. And so I want to talk about some of the other media outlets that have covered it and how they've gone about doing that. Let's start with the on-broadcast, Mark. I'm normally, Rabbi, as the managing editor of Burgundy Wave, I'm normally the first local in-person media person that the broadcast teams are jovial with. I did not have a chance to interact with the team that we had here, so I don't know if they were given a gag order. I don't know if they didn't do their research on this. I don't know what if they were told to be light on it or if they were just focusing on covering the game. But so... Uh, at 15.20 on the game clock, folks, that is where we get the first mention of the open letter from C38. I can confirm Kevin Egan referred to them as Centennial 88. Um, so they mention, so they get the name of C38 wrong. They mention the open letter and then they pull some uh, innocuous quote from Josh Kroenke as well. And they mostly talk about the on-field side of it, um, I guess to, to use Smith's buzzword mark the fact that the Rapids have frustration and they've deviated from their identity on the field. No mention of the walkout, no mention of the protests or the players wearing of the team wearing black at all, and then no mention of like the hey, the reason why this team is where it is is because of where they are from a funding standpoint and ownership is disinterested in that regard. At 1825 on the game clock, you get what I believe to be the last shot of the supporters cam, which is on the south side behind the south goal, right lined up with 117. Um, you can audibly hear on the stadium mics at 2028 on the game clock, Cronky uh, out. Um, and then there was at, um, this was during halftime mark. So there's no game time for me to mention this, but if you go on the Apple TV replay and you go to one hour, 12 minutes and five seconds in the midst of halftime, um, quote, well-publicized turmoil. It's a well-publicized tumultuous time for the Rapids, their fan base voicing their concerns, but many still here cheering on the team as they show some shot of some fan elsewhere in the stadium as well. So um, I don't know if that's at, at some point, Mark, we have to think with Apple TV giving a lot of money to MLS and obviously a lot of collaboration between those. I have to wonder at what point is someone who's on the broadcast talent 
or their producer? Are they accountable to someone in marketing in the ways that um, maybe some other outlets wouldn't cover it? Um, <clears throat> let's give some credit to Extra Time Radio on here, Mark, because they mention it. I uh, quoted all of these folks I've been kind of tabulating on Burgundy Wave's Twitter account, so you can go through and um, scroll through those. But ETR does mention it like 53, 54 minutes in. They mention the walkout, Mark, um, but then they mostly talk about the on-field issues. But most of these outlets then comment on what's going wrong on field. It's the fact that, you know, the team's trying to play money ball. It's hard to ball on a budget as well. And then even when the Rapids have been good or gotten good value within the league, they've never had a game changer. They've spent money from a salary standpoint on designated players, $1.65 million for Sagashangashi, $2.4, $2.5 million for Tim Howard. Uh, we don't yet know, Mark, how much uh, Rafael Navajo is making. Um, for the Rapids, what they spend on that, but those also usually come with loans or their players who are out of contract. There's no, they're not spending big on transfer fees, and they haven't had. You could argue, Mark, that technically the only truly impactful designated player the Rapids had was. Connor Casey, and it was one of those years that he got like some performance bonus that then upped his guaranteed compensation to the point where he was above the max budget charge to then technically be, be a DP on paper, but not a DP in terms of, hey, we're spending $6 million on Chicho Arango, and he's a record transfer fee, and by the way, we're paying him $4 million a year, and there's a release clause, and the release clause is $10 million. Like, the Rapids don't make those types of signings, and that was, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, that was the a big point that Jeff Reuter made in his article for The Athletic. But so um, ETR did touch on it. We were kind of wondering if they wouldn't touch on it because they're MLS and, you know, is that a, a state-run media kind of thing? Total Soccer Show with David Goss on it mentioned it. Again, talked most about what was going on um, on the game. MLS Fantasy Insider, Mark, in their first 10 minutes talked about it, talking about Rapids and then pointed out um, that the what was going on with the protests and there was some misinformation there. Nine News Denver locally, Mark, covered it and they used a couple tweets from fans as well in that and so they mentioned that include the included the letter from c38 and then the statement from the club as well so it's gotten some traction locally mark from the general news space i think unfortunately you had two wild american football games on the weekend between um uh the cu buffaloes beating uh the csu rams in the rocky mountain showdown in overtime on saturday and then on sunday mark i know you're not as much into nfl but the Broncos had a wild Hail Mary to uh, set up a two-point conversion to tie the game and send it into overtime and then couldn't convert on the two-point conversion. And so now the Broncos are 0-2. There was possibly a pass interference call that got missed there. So, Mark, you have the ridiculousness of Deion Sanders' hype coming off of that win and then being 3-0. You have the chaos and panic mode of the Denver Broncos being 0-2, losing two home games to teams that we think are bad in the NFL. And I think, unfortunately, from a sports talk radio and a sports media standpoint locally here in Denver, that's going to consume all the oxygen for this week, unfortunately. So locally from a sports fan standpoint, I don't know that that's coming up that much. Oh, and by the way, hockey um, training camps are starting, so there's going to be more Av stuff, and we're just a couple weeks away, Mark, from the NBA doing the same thing. Nuggets coming back as world champions or NBA champions as well. I don't know that 
like 1043 the fan is covering this mark i don't know that um like are the other dnvr guys aware of the protests as well um mitch uh duane yaya are we am i wrong on that feel free to inform me i'd happy to be informed on that i don't know that it's moving the needle locally mark and again it was touched on this week in media it has to become more of a regular thing and i think get more traction locally to then have it be a like tss dedicating an episode of that to something like that or someone going out that's not in this MLS bubble going and interviewing somebody from C38 or going to interview somebody from the club to then ask about it as well and in that regard well I think it was great showing locally in the bubble I think more is going to have to happen in a way that then creates the media storm that creates the bad look publicly that actually affects KSC financially or in public image that actually gets them to take action um but we'll see Mark, I've been talking a lot. Any thoughts on how the various outlets covered it? Um, is there somebody you haven't seen talk about it that you'd like to see? No, I was happy with the way it went down. I, I think I said our, I, you, you got everything I, I have to say. Let's move on to the uh, to the next match, yeah? Yeah, let's talk about that, Mark. So, listeners, this coming uh, tomorrow or today by the time you're listening to us, so uh, Wednesday, September 20th, the Colorado Rapids will be hosting the Seattle Sounders. That will be at 7.30 p.m. Mountain Time. And then on Saturday, September 23rd, the Pids will be at Providence Park at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Time to take on the Timbers. Both of these games on Apple TV. Mark, we will talk. We, we will start with the Seattle Sounders. Not a whole lot of big news on their front, Mark. I feel like the Sounders are a little bit more fallible. They've got three draws and one win in five games that they've played since the resumption of play. The goal scoring has been a little bit more by committee, Mark, but this is still a very good team. And this is a team that even when they've struggled, playing the Rapids is usually a good tonic for them as well. Jordan Morris, Raul Ruiz Diaz are going to be effective attacking players. Uh, Nicolo Odero is looking his age, Mark, but it's still been really good. Jao Paulo is back with the team as well. Oh, and by the way, Mark, I don't know if you remember the last time the Rapids played the Seattle Sounders. It was the first game of the season, and it was 4-0 as well. The one kind of doubt we have, Mark, uh, Christian Roldan has been in and out this season dealing with concussions, um, and so he was back. He did play over the weekend 25 minutes. I know he's kind of been their Swiss Army knife, or should I say Salvadorian American army knife um and so there's kind of a, a question about about how much availability he has and him creating that amoeba midfield rather than that being them being creative that being said Brian Smetzer is historically really conservative in this game, and so I wonder, Mark, if he comes in setting up for the draw and then trying to use his substitutes to try and win the game. Mark, what do we see in Seattle? How much of this will be a more difficult barometer test for the Rapids' new coach bump? So, uh, you know, for me, the shocking thing about the Sounders this year is who's their leading scorer. Um, it is... Da-da-da-da... Jordan Rusnak? Jordan Morris with 10 goals, which, and he's way ahead of everybody else. Um, and then after that, it's everybody else, you know, they're kind of old, steady hands, are mostly old and not so steady. Raul Ruiz Diaz is 33, Nico Ladero is 34, and neither of them has been particularly productive this year. Um, Ruiz Diaz, five goals, one assist, uh, and Nico Ladero has um, uh, one goal and five assists. So you were talking about like, you know, kind of like scoring by committee, you know, Rapids fans, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, or if you've been watching the Rapids play Seattle in this division for a long time, the names are all pretty familiar. It's Rui Diaz, Lodero, Morris, um, Jao Paulo, Albert Rusnak, who, at, who was added last year and then got hurt and didn't play 
um, much of the year, and and then this year was his first full year with them. I mean, that's who started in their last game in against FC Dallas, which was a one-one draw. They've been kind of scuffling for a while. Uh, they got knocked out. They were pretty strong going into League's Cup, and then they lost both their games in their group in League's Cup, and they haven't really been solid ever since. Um, I don't know what's going on with the Sounders, but you know what can really solve a lot of your problems? Playing the Rapids. You know, that's that's usually a good solution to whatever ails you. So I think um, Seattle should probably come in and, and wipe the floor with us and, and, and get things uh, back on track, but... Um, they did beat um, Austin, uh, and their next game was against Portland, which they drew 2-2. I actually happened to watch watch that game on Sunday night, uh, was between Portland and Austin. And Portland's really interesting. They're setting up in a very different setup um, than they have been under Giovanni Savarese. So they've been, they're much more defensive. They're kind of striking on the counter and in transition. But we're not here to talk about Portland. We're here to talk about Seattle. Um, I, I just think uh, Seattle have too much talent. They've they've got a lot of really good things going for them. I think the question with Seattle right now is, you know, I mentioned their old hands, their solid guys, but their back line is a little bit less um, certain. There's Yamar, um, there's uh, Alex Roldan, um, and then there's a couple other question marks of guys who've been in and out of the lineup, but at, uh, on the defense, um, you know, Stefan Fry is always very, very good, but, um, you know, that's, I think their, their Achilles heel, uh, that they, they are vulnerable on the back line a little bit. And that helps the Rapids who are a good set piece team. Um, at least the last couple weeks, they've been a good set piece team. They've been a disappointing set piece team for the rest of the season. So we'll see. Uh, I, I still think um, the Rapids are, they had one good game. They won a game. We're all very excited about that. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. They're still the Colorado Rapids. They've still been pretty bad. Um, you know, their win was really helpful at getting them out of uh, or into competition with Toronto for not getting the wooden spoon. Um, they're both on 22 points right now. So if there's anything to play for, if, I don't know if you can go into a locker room and motivate players by saying, come on, lads, let's not get the wooden spoon. But um, whatever it takes, baby. I mean, like what, whatever you need to do um, <laughs> to motivate those guys. Um, you know, they want to win every game. They don't They don't want to be... They don't want to be embarrassed publicly. But I think that, that is a, a notable thing. And Toronto is... You know, another team just like New England that are in total free fall um, compared comparable to the Rapids in terms of what's going on in the stadium with the supporters group with the front office. So that's a full lid for me. Mark, I'm almost more I'm almost more interested in what's going on from a performance standpoint than I am in the actual result. Do we see we've seen Mark when the Rapids have been good that they have been able to even if they get a draw with Seattle home are able to outplay the Sounders. I don't know if you remember Mark that Fourth of July game in 2021 uh, that ended in a one-one draw, but that was like proof of concept. Like the Rapids absolutely bossed Seattle. Mm. Any other goalkeeper in MLS other than Stefan Fry in goal that day for Seattle um, and the. Rapids probably win that game 2-1, 3-1. And so I almost want to see, like, the at what point, Mark, do I see 
Do I turn to my left to Brendan Plone, um, to Mitch Carroll, to Brendan Norris and say, yeah, Seattle's the better team. They're having the better performance this season. Does that happen? What minute does that happen? Because, Mark, in if we look at those last three home games or like the Toluca game, Mark, it took me like 15 minutes to be convinced like, yes, Toluca's a way better team. This is not going sure, to end right. well. Can the Rapids hold in for a half? Can they hold in for 60 minutes? And regardless of whether or not they win or lose, can they, can they just go toe-to-toe with the team even if Seattle's a little banged up, not playing particularly well, and Smetzer looks at this week, and it's a tough week, Mark, for the Sounders. They've got Nashville on the weekend on the road as well. So is, you know, does uh, does Brian Smetzer try to play pragmatically across both of them as well? Does he look at this is the lesser team in the first road game? We drew on the weekend uh, to Dallas. I think that was on the road as well. Do we try to get a win in this one and then a draw against Nashville? I think if you were picking, like, you just, uh, you know, hold pace with... LAFC and with St. Louis City, those would probably be the results that you want, especially given that Nashville's now in the Eastern Conference. So um, a lot of my expectations or what I'm curious about in this game is going to be largely dependent on what Seattle's lineup looks like and then also what their approach in their game is. If they come out conservatively, I want the Rapids to outplay them. I want the Rapids to do better from a ball possession, chance creation, the various metrics that we care about for this club. And if Seattle comes in and like comes in and try and boss, can the Rapids just hold serve? Even if they lose and they end up losing late and everything, can they look like a competent team? Because the last two times these teams played, Mark, one team was clearly off and running and one team looked like they were brand new and had trained for a week and barely knew what was going on and were setting themselves up for a really bad season. I will say it's a 1-1 draw, Mark. I will say it's a fair result. I think the Rapids will play well against a rotated Sounders team that is here for a draw. And I will feel okay to Matt about it and then TBD based on how I feel next podcast based on what happens against Portland yeah let me just say three nil sorry three one to Seattle with Diego Rubio getting the goal I hope Diego Rubio either starts or gets uh uh, comes off the bench for the Rapids because he was I think he was on the bench and then and was he an unused sub this last match uh I believe so Mark he was not in the he wasn't in the starting lineup I wasn't in the lineup at all was not in the starting, starting lineup. Let, yeah, yeah. Let so, me let me double check that. Yeah, we're gonna leave this in as well, listeners. So you leave it in. It. Leave it in. Show the warts. Show our failures. Show our lack of preparation. <laughs> I did, if Diego Rubio did play in this game, Mark, he didn't do anything significant for it as well. He did not start. He was on the bench and he received a yellow card, Mark. So he did play against New England Revolution. Huh. Whatever Diego Rubio did in this game against New England Revolution as of when he subbed in in the 68th minute, it was not noteworthy by ye old Diego Rubio standards. But I agree with you, Mark. I'd, I'd like to see more of Diego Rubio in this game. I wouldn't be surprised if, especially if Tavares is able to start and you know he's going to be able to give you 60 regardless of the injury, if... Uh, Chris Little says that, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep with what worked in this game and then we'll build and tinker based on how the, the narrative of the match goes. Mark, so uh, we've got the Portland Timbers on Saturday as well. Since the last time the Rapids played, uh, the Portland Timbers in their two game, in their 90 minutes that were stretched over, what, 
14 days or whatever it was uh, that Giovanni Savarese and Robin Frazier, neither of whom are employed at the moment, said this was an effing waste of time. Um, not a lot has changed from a personnel standpoint for the Timbers. Evander is absolutely cooking, Mark. He did score a goal in their 2-1 win at Austin over the weekend. Uh, Zach McGraw and Zuparic are playing at center back right now. I guess... Um, Laris Mabiala just isn't up to standards, and defensively, the Timbers can be had, absolutely. Felipe Mora is doing his typical thing, Mark, where he gets, like, 12 touches in a game, but then, like, four of those are shots, and, like, one of those is a gold. Dairon Espria is right in time, Mark, as we get to late September for him to start becoming playoff Dairon. Um, we're not seeing a whole lot of Diego Chira, Mark. He was not in the lineup for this one, so I don't know if he's available. Oh, I can tell you about that. He had an emergency appendectomy the day before the game game so oh that's snap why he He's... was out yeah but but yimmy chara his brother is is available and healthy so but as as i have said on this podcast mark <laughs> the portland timbers are if the portland timbers have two chiras they can be mid and if they only have one chara they are fallible so um so they don't have that sebastian blanco has been reduced to a super sub mark he's not like he's over the hill and i'm not sure that that contract extension has really worked for them um this is a beatable timbers team that being said this is a timbers team that is on the up if i pull up the standings after their win against austin they are up to they are in the playoffs mark they are ninth on 36 points on 29 games played that being said there's a few teams below them that have games in hand as well um let me look to see who the timbers play midweek marks for context for that as well they are home against san jose so mark you're looking at home against a playoff team that's probably going to make the playoffs in san jose and then you're looking at home against a team that's competing for the wooden spoon just like how i talked about with seattle where for them probably them being happy with the week is probably a win against the bad team and then a draw on the road against a good team seattle or portland has to be looking at this at four points this week a draw against san jose and then a win against colorado i i think unless a bunch of crazy stuff happens at Providence Park against the Quakes mark and the Quakes are peak uh, chaos merchants in Major League Soccer I think we're going to see the best and most desperate version of the Portland Timbers I think this is a tough game mark and historically going to Portland has not worked out well for the Pits I think they lose this one I do too and I'll elaborate a little bit more on what I said earlier for those uh, loyal listeners who stick around to the very end of the podcast which is Um, I watched this game and I really was impressed at the way Portland was setting up. At first I was like, why are they not pressing? Like they were um, absolutely the least aggressive team to press in the opposing final third of any team in Major League Soccer I have seen this season. They, I wouldn't call it a low block. They were sitting in a very comfortable zone mid block and they were happy if they didn't nick the ball around midfield Um, to drop all the way back and to kind of sit in and make it really hard for their opponent. And then they struck on the counter really, really fast. They raced upfield. They were completely happy to cede possession to the opposing team. So they are, I wouldn't call them a bunker encounter. They're a mid-block encounter team right now. And they're looking to cut passing lanes and recover the ball at midfield and then just go off to the races. And they're okay with making a couple sloppy passes to try and get upfield as fast as they possibly can. It worked for them this past week. Um, They converted, they didn't have that many opportunities and they converted one of them uh, right on halftime against Austin in Austin um, to quiet the crowd. And then Austin drew it up and then they got another goal back um, to, to come out of Austin with a win. 
Um, and they've been, I think, what do we say? They have uh, uh, three wins and a draw in their last four matches. I think they're really on the upswing. They're a very dangerous team. Suddenly they have an identity. Uh, I think that's the most interesting thing about them. And lastly, the the most important thing possibly is they is, they are a team that has something to play for. You know, they are in ninth place. They are looking at a playoff spot, um, and and they have also a new coach. So I think there's a lot of energy on that team. It's not a team I'd want to face, uh, and uh, I think that they've they've definitely got uh, all, everything going in their direction for at least a draw, if not a win. I am going to call this one a one-one draw. Rapids uh, uh, tim- Timbers. I do think that's funny because I was much more up on what the Timbers are capable of than uh, Seattle. But for some reason, you know, Seattle, I, I never I never like to oversell my predictions in the sense that, like, you know, crazy things happen. So 1-1 in this match. I'll say 2-1 to Portland in this one, Mark. I think your points about the the Timbers are kind of diverting back to a more... Both teams, Mark, since their head coaches got fired, have reverted back to a more intense and more committed version of their ethereal ideal for what they want to be. The, the ultimate version of the Portland Timbers was a 4-3-2-1 mid-block counter and then primarily do their damage in transition or on set pieces created off of those transition moments. And then what did Chris Little come out? 4-3-3 a little bit of pressing, a little bit of uh, possession, stymie the opponent and play with intensity to create high-quality individual moments and then converting those high-quality individual moments. That's what the Rapids were in 2021. That's what the Portland Timbers were in 2021 when they hosted MLS Cup, beating the Rapids in the playoffs on the way to hosting and losing MLS Cup to NYCFC as well, Mark. And so in that regard, I think tactically, I think Seattle and call and. Portland are both going to set up to be a bad matchup for the Rapids in this regard. I think they're going to force the Rapids to play with the ball and to beat and to break down, break them down when they have numbers at the back. And while I thought the Rapids did a good job against New England in transition, you look at the goals, Mark, it was off of a set piece that was created off of a play mostly in transition that led to the foul that led to Cole Bassett's goal from Connor Ronan and Rafael Navajo. And then it was a moment in transition for Calvin Harris as well. And I just don't think you're going to get that kind of space and that kind of time from these two Cascadia opponents. And we've seen Mark, where did Minnesota United and LAFC do their damage recently against the Colorado Rapids. It was putting numbers behind the ball, waiting for the Rapids to make a mistake, capitalizing on that, and then creating chaos through that as well. Are the Rapids set up to defensively be better in that regard? Are the Rapids set up to maybe think, let's let Seattle and Portland have the ball and then press them as well? What does that look like? I think it's an interesting tactical matchup, but these are two teams that are set up to play well in a tactical shape that, um, that takes away the biggest advantage that the Rapids have and plays to the Rapids still, I believe, their biggest weakness that they have in this team as well. Um, if the Rapids are sharp on the ball, can they get two or four points out of this week, Mark? Yes, if they are as bad with the ball as they were against Toluca, as bad with the ball as they were in that three-game road stretch as well, then I do not, I'm do. i not optimistic about this. I'll say 2-1 to the Portland Timbers on this one, Mark. Um, and I will say, I, I don't know that I've put names on the two Rapids goals that I have this week, Mark. I will say that uh, we get a first-ever goal from Rafael Navajo. I think he opens up his account with the Burgundy boys this nice. week. Uh, Rabbi, you want to put any names to the goals that you got for the Pids? Uh, let's give Cole Bassett another goal. I mean, uh, that would be really exciting. And, um, 
Let's see. Uh, it's been a, a little while since. It's been a hot minute since uh, Andreas Makshu got a goal. So, and he's been, he's he's been he's always a threat uh, because of that big body and and the service that they provide him. And Connor Ronan seems to be hitting a spot. So let's give him one of the other ones. That's all I got for you, Matt. <laughs> Listeners, you can follow us collectively on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi at LWS Matt Pollard and at Rapids 96 Podcast. Support the podcast. The best way that you can do that is head on over to our Substack, holdingthehighline.substack.com. Five bucks a month or 42 bucks for the year. The 42 bucks does get you one of the three uh, cheers to the six pint glasses that we have left as well. Email us. Uh, at rapids96podcast at gmail.com and send us your questions. We haven't had any Ask, T- Ask HTHLs in the last couple of weeks, folks, so get at us on Twitter um, or you can email us. Uh, use the hashtag AskHTHL. Are we still calling them hashtags, Mark, or is there like a, is it a post with like the pound sign because we're bringing the pound sign back because Elon's gone knows. full a- a- archaic on that front. Who freaking um, knows it? We'll, we'll see how much longer we're on the, the account formerly known as Twitter if he's going to do what's been threatened, which is charge everyone who uses it money. So uh, You can find me over also on Blue Sky and Threads if you're interested. Uh, there I'm at Rabbi Mark Asher G. So just just to just to spread uh, spread my money around the table on a couple different hands. Makes note to set up at Rapids Nine Six Podcast <laughs> account on Threads before someone takes our handle. Um, so with that, uh, listeners, thank you for joining us. Um, for those of you who participated and let your voice known in the various ways to protest on Saturday, um, thank you for doing it in a way that I felt was constructive, thank you. clear, and peaceful and non-disruptive to the other patrons of the Rapids community. Um, enjoy the two games that we have this week, and we'll talk to you next week. Peace. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.